I get to talk at you for a while. Let's pray, though, together, shall we? <clears throat> Father, it's so good to be gathered as a part of your body. Jesus, part of your body. It's so good to be here to worship you, to glorify you, to praise you, to hear from you as your bride, the church. So this morning, this morning, Lord, this, this has been prayed millions of times by millions of, of preachers all over the place, but that doesn't make it true right now. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, fill my body, use my lips, fill my mouth so that these words are your words. To rest on the ears of those willing to hear, to, to be seen with eyes that want to see, and to soften hearts that may be hardened or callous in any way, shape, or form. Spirit, work intimately in Jesus' name so we leave here not more informed but more transformed and conformed to look just like our resurrected Savior. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Oof, I'm still, I got like the, I got the post-worship jitters right now. You think I walk a lot normally, you wait till today. <clears throat> I'm going to be all over the place. You like movies? You like novels, some of you? Some of you are like, I wait for the, for the movie. Others of you are like, now, did you read it before you saw it? Stories, right? We love them. I, uh, self-admittedly, I have a little bit of an um, <clears throat> entertainment idol. I love I love to be in stories. I love to hear them. They're kind of my escape, right? I can dive right in. I either relate to a character or I feel like I'm a part of the story. They pull me in and I, I, I love them. And then maybe you have this like me too. When you hear a great story or you, or you, you watch a great story or you read a great story, you need, you need to tell somebody, right? Like I, you go see a movie and it's just, it's a bang up movie. I mean, character development's there, it's funny, there's, there's action, there's like a heartfelt moment and the ending, oh, the ending, it just ties everything together. All these little nuances from the beginning that seemed meaningless all of a sudden have just depth to them by the end. So you're sharing about this movie, you gotta see this. You've gotta go see this movie or for those of you who read books, you gotta go read this. It's not as exciting though. You gotta go see this, you know? You got to go to Holland 7 or you got to go to Barnes & Noble. Both are good. You got to go see this. Why? Just the ending. Oh, my goodness. I can't even explain it. The ending. I mean, endings are important. They carry a ton of weight, don't they? Have you ever said to somebody, you got to see this movie. The first five minutes are great. After that, yeah. <laughs> no, you don't say that. Endings carry a lot of weight in our culture in this day and age. I mean, we even say things like, you know, if we want to share about an ending, but, but if somebody hasn't seen the movie, we don't want to spoil it for them. And it's not that we don't want them to know the ending. We don't want them to miss how all these pieces before the ending all add up to this beautiful ending because they wouldn't understand it all. So we say, hey, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, plug your ears or leave the room because I'm going to say this anyway because it's so good. Endings carry a lot of weight. And they're vitally important, especially in context. Today, we finish up our series in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 16, the ending of the Gospel. The thing is, there's a little bit of a 
an issue. You see, Mark 16 is is 20 verses long, but after verse 8, there's a line in most Bibles. And that line says, um, yeah, verses 9 through 20 do not appear in the earliest manuscripts or eyewitness accounts of this gospel. So where does Mark end? Does it end in verse 8 or, or verse 20? I mean, we've been going on this big journey through the gospel of Mark, and we've built all the way through it to see what the author has to tell us. And now, now we don't know where to end? How does that work? Endings are vitally important. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to dive into this this morning. We're going to look at the end. What does the author of Mark intend to leave us with as the readers of his gospel? But just like movies, spoiler alert, we need some context and some information ahead of time. So let's jump in, shall we? Mark 16. We'll start right at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and uh, Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Hold on, pause there. We're only one verse in. Um, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Sounds an awful lot like the resurrection story. Yes. Um, Because it is. Um, but, but Nate, <clears throat> you know, you got a lot of kids, but um, you use a calendar. Last week was Easter. I, I know. It was. And we talked about the resurrection. True. But the scripture says this. When the Sabbath was over. <clears throat> hold on a minute. We, we talked about the resurrection last week, this exact story, and now we're talking about it again. But the scripture says when the Sabbath was over. What, what were they talking about? What Sabbath were they talking about? They were talking about the Jewish Sabbath, right? Jesus was crucified on a Friday. <clears throat> he died on that Friday. They pulled him from the cross on that Friday. And the next day was the Sabbath. And it says, when the Sabbath was over, at first light, Mary and Mary brought their spices to anoint Jesus. It was after the Sabbath. You see, the Jewish Sabbath honored and honored the creation, right? On the seventh day, God rested. So on the seventh day of the week, the Jewish people rested. Remember, the Sabbath wasn't made for God, but the Sabbath for man. But we're Christians. So we know the story because it just happened last week. And we're going to tell it again today. That Jesus rose from the grave on what day? Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. Jews celebrate their Sabbath based on creation, Saturday. Christians, we don't celebrate the creation Sabbath. We celebrate the rest we get in the resurrection Sabbath. Yes, we talked about resurrection last week on Sunday. Guess what? Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday we come into this place and gather as the body of Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ has risen. It's not because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Is it true? Absolutely. We are in this place gathered right now because he is risen. What are you guys supposed to say? Come on, it hasn't been that long. You bet he did. 
You know, that's what, here's the thing. You're telling that story, and I'm like, yes, because you told me. And then I can't help but think of, of Pastor Doug, who was like, at Easter, um, Marin, who's their worship leader, when they said, he has risen, said, he has risen indeed, and she goes, booyah! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're both good. Let's use them both. It is fine. <clears throat> Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. So, so we gather. When the, when the week goes bad, do you ever have that? When the week goes bad and, and the world's nose, the world's nose get you down. They push you down and maybe, maybe you can't focus on the truth that Jesus is alive again. You can't focus on that during the week. So what do we do? We come together as the body on Sunday to rest in the resurrection, to refocus every Sunday. And the Sabbath was over. Verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, just after the sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? I mentioned this just a minute ago. Friday they bought the spices, Saturday they couldn't do anything, it's the Sabbath, they've got to rest, they can't work. But at first light, on Sunday morning, the sun rises, we can work again, we're going to the tomb. Why? To anoint our Jesus. But what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? I mean, he's, he's in the tomb. Who's going to roll away the tomb? The stone in front of the tomb, who's going to do that? And I'm not saying this, it's like, oh, yeah, the two women went to the, That's not what I'm saying at all. This is a huge stone. Who's going to roll away the stone? Well, we know it's rolled away, right? We know it's rolled away. Here's, <laughs> let me tell you this. I, when I was growing up, I always thought Jesus rolled the, the, the stone away. And I think that's an okay answer. But I, I also think it's a wrong answer. I always thought Jesus rolled away the stone because, like, you know, he came back to life and he's like, oh, it's dark in here. <sighs> you know? <laughs> I am the light, but come on, open this up. Stuffy. <laughs> not the case. That's not the case. Think about this. When Jesus entered our world, how did he enter our world? Through a closed womb, a virgin's womb. And then when he died, he went to hell, he defeated death, and he re-enters our world alive, resurrected. How does he re-enter the world? Through a closed tomb. This world has been trying to kick Jesus out from the beginning, but the world's no's don't mean anything to Jesus' yes. The stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus to get out. Jesus didn't roll the stone away to get out. The stone was rolled away so that we could see he's back. He's, <laughs> I like you two. Booyah, Booyah you're okay. <laughs> he's back. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, see, told you, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, right? Uh, he was crucified. Well, he has risen. He's not here. See, the place where they laid him is right there. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. You ever catch that? Tell his disciples and Peter. Isn't Peter a disciple? Yes, he is. Flashback to Holy Week. Some of you may have heard some of this on Maundy Thursday. Um, Peter, the one who said, I will follow you till death, Jesus. And Jesus goes, well, how about you come pray with me in the garden? 
And what does Peter do in the garden? Does he pray or does he snooze? He snoozes. He checks out. He's catching some Z's. And then when his Lord is taken, he ends up denying him, disowning him three times. How do you think Peter feels on this Sunday, two days after this took place, where he denied his Lord and Savior three times? How do you think Peter feels? You ever felt too dirty for Jesus? Yeah. I bet Peter did too. Good news. The message goes out. Tell the disciples and Peter's, see, this resurrection is for him too, and it's for you as well, because you can't be too dirty for grace. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, these women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. Why Galilee? You ever wonder about that? Why Galilee? Galilee is where life was lived. This is where they did life. Flashback to Mark 1, remember? Lots of weeks ago. Mark 1, Jesus is baptized by John the baptizer in the Jordan River. Comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And the father says, that's my son with whom I'm well pleased. After that, Jesus goes into the desert, into the wilderness, into the chaos to be tempted by the ultimate deceiver for 40 days. Tempted in every way that we are tempted. And does he give in? No, not even once. And he comes out of that desert, that wilderness. And in my mind, which is not an official translation, in my mind, he comes out with a finger like pointing at all those who are speaking mistruths about him and his father comes out and he preaches and he teaches and he brings the good news into where? Into Galilee. And what else does he do in Galilee? He calls his disciples. Galilee is where the good news of God begins in Jesus Christ. Galilee is where baptism and repentance, they pick up some steam. It's where the disciples responded for the first time to the words, come follow me. See, Galilee was this gritty place where the sick cry out for healing, where the the hungry beg for food, where the poor sit in nothing with a handout. You see, Galilee is a place where injustice runs rampant, where those in power, those who collect taxes, soldiers, Officials, they skim off the top when it comes to power a little bit. Galilee is a familiar place because we live there too. We get it. I don't know if it's to the same extreme as they understood, but we can relate to all those things a little bit. Galilee is the scene of God's most impassioned intervention. And this message to his disciples is that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee, into life. Go to him. Go to him. Seek and you shall find. 
And the women were afraid when they got that message to go and share that news. I would like to think that if I was there at the tomb on that morning and the young man in the white robe talked to me, I'd like to, you know, he is risen. Yes! Booyah! Right? Booyah, buddy. (laughs) Woo! I would like to think that would be my response. However, I believe that mine would be the same. You know why? Um, Because I'm human just like they are. They were. Because they didn't prepare spices to go and anoint a risen Lord. They prepared spices to go and anoint a dead Jesus. They didn't expect to find a resurrection, even though Jesus told them countless times. And you're thinking, uh, why didn't they? He told them a lot. He tells us a lot of things, too, that we choose not to remember. Also, the political culture, the climate of that day was, was very different than we can understand. I mean, think back. The Jews want this man who who refers to himself as the son of God killed. (laughs) And the Romans are the ones that really rule in that area. So the Jews had to convince the Romans to kill this man for a religious reason, even though he really is the son of God. So it all takes place. And now the Romans are thinking, you know, Jews, you really pushed your luck. We took care of your dirty work for you. And and the Jews are just thankful that Jesus is gone. But if Jesus is alive again, uh, now the Jews are going to be furious because he... We killed him, and the Romans are thinking, we did all that for you when he lives? This, Jesus coming back ignites the powder keg of this climate. So, of course, they were afraid. And they fled. And they didn't say anything, which is ironic as well, because throughout the entire Gospel of Mark, people are healed and delivered, and all these things happen. And they're like, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody. And what do they do? They don't listen. They go tell everybody. And so now it's, here's the good news. Go tell. And they leave trembling and bewildered. There's irony there. So they fled. Afraid and they didn't say anything. The end. You feel jazzed about the resurrection? Because that is how most scholars believe the author of Mark Ends his gospel. You feel fulfilled? Complete? Ready to go take on the world for Jesus? See, 9 through 20. 9 through 20 was tacked on later by my belief. It was tacked on later because original hearers felt just the way you and I do when we hear that's the end. The tomb was empty and they left afraid. Okay, okay. And they tacked it on, and the things in 9 through 20, they're not heretical. I'm not saying they're not biblical. I'm not saying it's not scripture. Because everything in 9 through 20 is found in another gospel. Everything in 9 through 20 is found somewhere in Matthew, Luke, or John. 9 through 20 was actually one of the many endings that have been tacked onto Mark, all coming around the second, third, and fourth centuries uh, when the other gospels were already well known as well. Some people say, well, maybe just the, the, the back of the book fell off, and so it needed to be added again. No, nope, this was written on, on scrolls, and when you roll up a scroll, what, what end gets rolled up first? The bottom. So I, we don't read a lot of scrolls anymore. Um, <clears throat> you roll it from the bottom, so when you pull it out, the bottom is the most preserved. So I'm under the belief, as many scholars are, that Mark left us at verse 8 with no, put your hand in my hands, 
No great commission. No Peter putting on clothes to jump out of a boat and swim to Jesus. No ascension like we see in Luke 24. It's not what we expect from the end of a gospel. So why did the author leave us there? Why? I'm a father of four. Seven, five, five, almost three. We read a lot of books. Let me rephrase that. We read some books a lot of times. <laughs> One, <laughs> booyah, you know. <laughs> you and I, we've read three books 1,000 times together. One of the books that we read that we, well, thankfully it's taking a little break, but I know now after hearing this that we're going to be reading this when we get home. One of the books that we used to read a ton of was The Napping House. Are you familiar with The Napping House? Love The Napping House. Don't remember for it. Loved The Napping House. Um, <clears throat> see, the napping house is a house where everyone is sleeping. There is a, um, a snoring granny, there's a dozing, dozing child, there's a something dog and a snoozing cat and a something mouse. They're all sleeping, right, in this room. But yet, while they all sleep, there's one character who's awake. Do you remember? Flea. The flea. Of course you remember. <laughs> the flea is awake. And what happens is this flea ends up Biting one of the animals, and in dramatic fashion, one by one, each wakes up the other like a chain reaction. Until at the end of the book, the napping house where not a soul is sleeping, right? It's a cute book. You read it the first time, and you're like, that was, that was really creative. You go back and you read it the second, third, four thousandth time, as I've done, and you start to notice that the flea, who's been awake the whole time, is actually on every page. The illustrator draws the flea on every page. I know some of you parents right now are going, uh, it is? I have that book. And you're going to go home and check it. Do it. And then email me. He's on every page. In a different spot, in a different location. And that flea, that one wakeful flea, changes everything. Now, do you think I can not look for the flea every time I open that book? Every page we get to, guess what we're finding first? The flea. He is now the most important part of that story. The napping house. Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. See, the gospel of Mark ends abruptly because we're to see for ourselves. That's the goal here, to answer the question, who do you say Jesus is and what do you do now? And we're supposed to see for ourselves because Jesus has always been present Our resurrected Jesus changes everything. And when you see him at the end of the Gospel of Mark, you can look back through the Gospel and see the resurrected Jesus all along. You can look back into your life. I didn't see Jesus when I was in this moment. This is a really tough moment, but now I can see he was walking with me. And then you're present, you look around, and you you see the flea all the time. If you're looking for the flea, you're going to see the flea. Just like if you're looking for the resurrected Jesus, you're going to see him. Why? Because you know the end of the story. You know how Mark ends. And Jesus is ahead of us in Galilee. He's ahead of us in our life. Go find him. Seek and you shall find. Go find him. 
we're forced with the abrupt ending of Mark to ask ourselves, what now? What now? Now that we know this, now that we know that our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lives, what now? Because he's gone ahead of us. He's alive. He's in Galilee. He's in life. He's everywhere. We're on the cusp of spring. Flowers are starting to bloom. There is the smell of grill in the air. Everything's turning green. Resurrection. Jesus is everywhere. The earth, the creation shouts his name and what's happened with him. He's alive. Jesus is God's insistent yes every time the world imposes its no. And Mark's gospel ends just as it began. A calling out to disciples. Go and tell them he is risen. Go and tell the others. Go and share the truth. Remember Mark 1? In Galilee, I called the disciples, and now the call is going out. Jesus is back in Galilee. Go tell the disciples. This is a, this is a circular story. This is a looping history. And you know why it's so abrupt? Because um, it, was, it was an intentional tactic. Greco-Roman literature actually did this oftentimes in that same time period. They read a narrative, and they'd end it abruptly. We see it sometimes in movies today, too. They end it abruptly. Why? So you put yourself in the story. What would I do if? What do I think? If the characters are like that, what do I, what's going to happen next? Here's what I think happened. And we get to come up with our own end of the story. But with the gospel, it's different. It's an abrupt ending that closes the gap. It pulls us as the reader right into the story. It closes the gap of eternity. This happened thousands of years ago. We exist in 2017. On the timeline of eternity, we're not by one another. And the abrupt ending pulls us together. And says, what are you going to do now? Jesus is risen. He's ahead of you in life and in Galilee. You going to go? It's a calling for us to get wet in the waters of baptism, but it's more than that. Last week, so many remembered the waters of their baptism. So many came to a place of knowing Jesus for the first time, and that is awesome. But if we end there and say we've made it, then we are telling the world that the gospel has everything to do with me and nothing to do with the world. This calling is to tell everyone that Jesus lives not just for us, but for the world. I know that's easy to hear at church. I know that's easy for me to say. I know the world hurts. That the nose of this world hit hard and heavy. Everyone deep pain is everywhere. And yes, we have illness and we have grief and we have separation and we have loss and we have wars in the Middle East that don't ever seem to stop and we have terrorism that's invading everywhere and we have, we have injustices that just run rampant. We have racial divides in America that are highlighted unlike ever before. People are being shot in the streets and we have families that are being broken up and we have chemotherapists who are way busier and way overworked in every town in America than they should be. And the no's weigh us down. 
And Mark's gospel ends abruptly. Why? To close the gap. To pull us into it. So that with all the no's in this world, Jesus is the yes. Not just transforming yourself in the waters of baptism. No, not just transforming your life, but transforming the world through the church, which is what we are, the bride. And while Mark's gospel closes the gap of about 2,000 years, Jesus closes the gap between humanity and divinity. And it's not just that you belong to him, we belong to him, and so do some of them who are lost, who are broken, who are sitting in the nose of the world and overwhelmed with injustice and illness and But I tell you, he's ahead of you in life, Jesus. Go and tell everyone. He lives. So what are you going to do now? I got an idea. Let's go, church. Let's go into Galilee. Let's go into our life. And let's show how Jesus transforms families, churches, cities, communities, nations, because he is risen. What do you think? You bet he is. Booyah. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good. Jesus, your name is great and is above all other names. And that's it right now. May we worship you as your bride, as your church, as your body. As long as we're with one another and you're out in front of us, <laughs> you are risen and we're going to be all right. Keep our feet moving, Lord. We pray these things in your son's strong and tender name. Amen. Do me a favor. Um, <clears throat> Jesus is risen. You don't need to respond, okay? Jesus is risen and, and he, <laughs> he's closed the gap between us and divinity. Yeah, we have people to tell, but let's also not forget who we are. Adopted children. We heard it. We're adopted children into grace, into eternity. We are his sons and daughters. We are co-heirs with Christ. He sets us as his equal. (laughs) And so when we look to the king, we don't need to bow our head for the blessing. We can lift our chin. So when we hear this benediction today, Would you do something not very Dutch Reformed of you? Would you lift your chin, look to the heavens, and hear from your Father? From the book of Jude. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week.